Hello and welcome to the Rob Burgess Show. I am, of course, your host, Rob Burgess. On this, our 66th episode, our returning guest is Sean Spicer. You first heard Sean Spicer on episodes 1, 23, and 44. Sean Spicer has traveled tens of thousands of miles by heel, thumbs, wheels, and wit. By the time he was 30 years old, he had hiked the length of South Korea, hitchhiked across America, and somehow along the way managed to serve with the 101st Airborne Division and study philosophy at UC Berkeley. Driven by an intense need to redefine the impossible as well as himself, he now resides in his home state of California and is slowly teaching his son how to road trip. And now on to the show. Mr. Burgess. Mr. Spicer. How are you? Good, good, my man. How are you? I'm doing well. Congratulations on the new addition to the family. Absolutely. Yeah, she's wonderful. Um, turned uh, one month old today. So. With celebrations. Yeah, absolutely. But, so uh, is the second one easier? <laughs> My life is already so much uh, more different uh, anyway, so it's like, welcome to the, <laughs> jump jump on in, welcome to the circus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot changes when you're a father. Mm-hmm. Definitely, for sure. Spencer's missing about half his teeth now. Oh, wow. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I can't remember what he was eating. Just all of a sudden broke one loose. Oh. Oh, no, he wasn't eating. He was chewing Legos apart. That was it. <laughs> Trying to separate Legos. Pop one of his baby teeth loose. <laughs> was it one of the front ones? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I don't think anybody really uses molars to break Legos apart. <laughs> you never know. They're bad enough to step on. <laughs> So how have you been besides uh, birthing? Oh, I've been pretty good. So how's Indiana? Oh, it's pretty good. What has that been like since we last spoke with all of the fun things happening in the nation? <laughs> oh, man, where to begin? Yeah, no, I mean, Indiana's, I mean, weather-wise, it's pretty nice. This is like the nicest time of year right here, so. Um, I know you guys have been, like, uh, in a heat wave. You know, I called up um, our uh, internet company the other day, complaining about an outage, and he, the guy that I was talking to had lived in San Diego, and I was talking about our heat wave. He went, yeah, we're in Vegas, and I'm like, I'm whiny. I'm going to hush now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a San Diego heat wave means it hits 85, 90. Oh, really? Okay. And meanwhile, in Phoenix, it's 120. I see. Planes can't take off. Yeah. Tarmacs and trash cans melt. <laughs> but global warming is not a thing. No, of course not. It's a choke, Chinese hoax. <laughs> That's what I heard. I, I forgot about that. Mm -hmm. uh, so much uh, incredulous speech these days. Mm, yeah, alternative facts. <laughs> yes. Thankfully, the other Sean Spicer gave me the opportunity to label him as Alt Spice. <laughs> And everything has been good since. It's a tremendous position to be in where everybody who sends you hate mail yeah. immediately identifies themselves as on your side. Uh, hold on a second. Hey, can I call you right back? Of course. All right. 
Hey, Rob. Hey. <laughs> so you're, uh, yeah. Can we say you're Facebook friends with the real Sean Spicer? Is that a lot? I am. Yeah. Yes, I'm Facebook friends with him. Um, <laughs> he's not posted much. Um, Did you guys have an interchange uh, about your names, like, when you first became friends? Um, yeah, and then we had a, uh interchange about the fact that he posted a tombstone that wound up being my great-grandfather's. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, um, I thought I had told you this story before. I don't, at least not on the podcast, you haven't. Okay, um, well, it's an interesting story. My grandmother was a prostitute, hmm. um, and during the Great Depression, um, people did what they had to do, um, and my, uh, grandfather on my father's side, um, left work, probably tramping, catching trains across the U.S. to get work in the timber camps where there was apparently a lot of work available. And he disappeared. Hmm. Uh, my grandmother left with four boys, turned to the world's oldest profession, was arrested and had the children taken from her. Hmm. She died in jail about six months later with the oldest being, I believe, five years old at the time. Hmm. Um, and so there was a complete divide in my family history in the years before the internet. Um, and it was something my dad had tried to research, going through old records, things like that. This is before uh, the internet with Ancestry.com, et cetera, et cetera. And after my mother died, I found some of my dad's old documents. And about four or five months later, Sean Spicer posts a picture on Facebook with my father's name on it, hmm. on a tombstone. And I knew that there was a uh, William F. Spicer that was a Medal of Honor recipient. And I was able to do the research from that and make the connection. Hmm. So technically, Sean Spicer and I are third cousins. Whoa. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> Is there any chance you could reach out to him for us? I don't think so at this time. It's a little too hot? It's a little bit too hot. Um, I do send him frequent messages on Facebook inviting him to come to California and change careers. <laughs> I've been doing that since long before Trump. Oh, man. You know, I'm kind of like the good Darth Vader. Come to the light side. <laughs> Wouldn't it be the, the way of it, like, 20 years from now, if the story ended up where you guys, like, went into business together somehow? <laughs> <laughs> Selling white t-shirts on a beach in Hawaii? Sure. <laughs> Only mediums. <laughs> You've heard that story, right? No. Oh, this was a joke that um, Barack Obama and Joe Biden had between themselves. Mm. Was that when they were done with the White House... They were going to open a store on the beach, and they were only going to sell white T-shirts, sized medium, mm. because they wouldn't have to make any choices. <laughs> they wouldn't have to make any decisions. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't get any simpler. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, so it's interesting. He and I both have our um, similarities, as I discussed in former podcast. Mm -hmm. We're both military. We both focus much of our career on communications and marketing. Mm -hmm. And 
ironically, we have found ourselves on different coasts, different ideologies. He went to a military academy. I went to UC Berkeley. Mm-hmm. And different careers. Mm-hmm. He's shilling for possibly who will go down as the worst president in U.S. history, um, if they don't rewrite U.S. history, of course. Right. Um, and I'm out here on the West Coast selling marijuana. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, um, yeah, because last time it was funny, uh, you had just started your job, I think, and also it was like the day before the uh, famous Sean Spicer uh, dressing down with the press on, on day one of, <laughs> of, his, of his job about the inauguration crowd size. So uh, lot, lots, lots changed uh, in the interim. Um, yes. Yeah. So, but anyway, uh, what, uh, what can you tell us about, about your, uh, your business that you're in? Well, um, on the same day that Trump was elected, Prop 64 passed in California. And for those of you in other states, Prop 64 is the Adult Use of Marijuana Act, which took a incredibly large medical marijuana industry and gave us about 14 months before the medical marijuana industry would become the recreational marijuana industry. Um, as we've seen in Colorado, Washington, it is a huge boon to local and state economies. And I had been involved in the cannabis industry indirectly through agriculture, hydroponics, renewable energy uh, up in Mendocino County for some time. But I vowed that I was never going to be involved with the flower side until it was made recreational because I had so much respect for it as medicine that I wasn't going to go to a doctor and say, oh, I've got insomnia. Give me a prescription for medical marijuana. Um, I like cannabis recreationally. Um, I don't really do it that much anymore. It's a little bit too much for me. I'm an old man, you know. Um, But once uh, it passed, ironically, that day, the day after the election, I met with the CEO um, and founder of the current company I work for, M, and agreed to come aboard as their director of marketing. And it has been a very interesting uh, couple of months so far. We trying to think of where to start. I've been doing digital marketing for about 17 years now, long before there were Google ads. Um, Back in the days of BBSs, you could say I even go back into. Um, And nothing I've ever sold was prohibited anywhere, with the exception of alcohol, when I worked with nightclubs in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. What I've discovered is marketing cannabis is incredibly difficult. So there's this holiday every year, 420, April 20th, and it's a critical day for sales in the industry. Um, Often you're able to do double or triple your daily sales. Um, And two days before 420, our Instagram account with 5,000 followers was shut down. Mm. My phone was kicked off of Instagram that I couldn't log on to my personal Instagram account with like pictures of my son. What? I was completely kicked off Instagram. Wow. I've now had 15 Instagram accounts deleted. Wow. Before finally, through a network of friends, was able to get a hold of somebody who could tell me why. And it was our phone number. Hmm. Because our phone number was 1-800-CANNABIS. <laughs> And a phone number is technically a call to action 
to make a sale. Gosh. Simply listing our phone number meant that we were selling marijuana. Couldn't they have told you that before you did it 14 more times? Instagram has millions and millions of people. They don't care. (laughs) And they won't take my money. I would gladly throw thousands of dollars a month into marketing on Google, Facebook, Instagram, Mm. all of these digital channels that I spent the last years learning how to master. Mm-hmm. And I'm thrown back into an environment where if you gave me an unlimited budget, all I could really do are billboards. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are things and options that are available, but all of the fundamental tools of digital marketing are not available because federal prohibition. All right. Well, I know that's been a problem with the banking, too, um, you know, as far as like, go. yeah, I'm sure you've encountered that. We actually today at around 2 o'clock in the afternoon had an issue with a credit card processor that we used deciding to shut down our account. And it's just something you get used to. You spend six hours for every hour of work going through bureaucratic nonsense, Mm. trying to figure workarounds within legality. Mm. Now, there are hundreds of dispensaries here in San Diego. There are 14 that are permitted. And I am very happy, as would only be the case, to be working for a permitted dispensary. Mm -hmm. Um, So these fly-by-night dispensaries, what you'll see happen is somebody will open up a storefront dispensary, the police will bust them at 9 o'clock in the morning, and by 1 o'clock in the afternoon, they're back in operation as a delivery service. Hmm. Um, so that finagling around the extra hours of work that go into the permitting process, figuring out how to pay taxes, figuring out um, what the rules are going to be about um, sales tax collection, about areas of operation, what parts of the state can we and can't we legally deliver to. And meanwhile, as we're working on all of this, uh, the California um, Marijuana Commission is writing the rules for recreational and rewriting the rules for medical because we have to figure out how it all works together. Hmm. So the rules are changing at a breakneck pace. And so about three months ago, the MCRSA, which is the, pardon me for struggling with the acronym off the top of my head, um, the Marijuana Control Regulation uh, State Authority, I believe. Um, I talked about this on... Um, an earlier podcast for the company. Um, but they set out a group, a, uh, about 400 pages of proposed regulations for medical marijuana. And one of the ones you said you'd listen to my podcast that mm-hmm. came across as very dangerous uh, is that they would not allow edibles to be sold with more than 100 milligrams of THC. Well, okay, before you go any further, and that, this was something I was going to ask you about, like, like ex, ex, explain the um, the milligrams thing. Like, like, what would you say? Like, somebody say somebody's coming to San Diego, and they've they don't live in a state where it's legal, and they were to like go, like somebody that's a total like lightweight. Like, how much would you recommend to them? Two and a half milligrams. If they've never had an edible, I would recommend two and a half milligrams. So 
there's a number of products that are out on the market now. Uh, the first ones that I ran across were called Petromints by Kiva. And they're just little tiny mints, a little bit smaller than an Altoid. And they each have two and a half milligrams of THC. And you can eat one and feel it. You can eat two and you can feel all right. Um, and you, it allows you to kind of gauge up and figure out what your tolerance is. Mm-hmm. Now, I have friends that eat very high-dose edibles, that they can eat 250, 300 milligrams. Um, as an experiment a couple weeks ago, had a day off, okay, I'm going to eat a 30-milligram sample. It whomped me. I am that lightweight. Now, I did become a medical marijuana patient uh, because of my back. Um, I was in the military. I was part of the 101st Airborne Division, and I did a lot of competitive ruck racing as well as some incredibly long walks. Um, So I've done a lot of damage to my back and my feet. But went to a sports doctor. Uh, They did the x-rays, did the MRIs, looked at my spine. The doctor said I had a spine of an 80-year-old and that I was missing 75% of the space that was supposed to be between my lower seven vertebrae. Wrote a little prescription, and bang, muscle relaxants for life. Mm, No, thank you. Um, I knew that if done right, I could use cannabis to treat that without any threat of opium addiction. And so I set out to learn about it, got my card, and I do treat my back with cannabis. Mm -hmm. Ironically, I do it usually with zero milligrams of THC. So there are a number of chemicals in cannabis, and the active ones that we're most concerned about are cannabinoids. CBD, um, cannabidol, is probably the most amazing substance we pull out of a plant since somebody figured out aspirin. (laughs) And two months ago, maybe six weeks, the New England Journal of Medicine, one of the most respected medical journals, wrote a peer or published a peer-reviewed study that found CBD's efficacy in treating of Dravet syndrome, which is a it's a uh, a pediatric epilepsy. And some of these kids have up to 200, 300 seizures a day. They can't function. Mm-hmm. But by administering CBD, some of these children saw a complete, uh, a complete sausage. There was a complete stop in epileptic activity. Mm-hmm. It is a game changer. And meanwhile, federal prohibition has kept us from doing the research and discovering the uses and power of CBD Hmm. has been something that's arisen from the medical marijuana movement because now we have people working in the industry that are working on separating all of the active compounds in THC and figure in cannabis and figuring out what they're doing. So CBD is completely non-psychoactive. But it works on the endocannabinoid system, which every mammal has. Um, And to describe it in general layman's terms, it's almost like the lubricant between neurons. Mm. And CBD acts on that as almost a superfood. 
because we already have these cannabinoids in our systems. And by boosting the amount that we have, we're able to see a general effect of wellness and healing. I think a lot of the claims that are out there um, can be considered snake oil. I think there's a lot of products out there that are nonsense. Now, part of being a permitted California dispensary, we have to lab test everything we sell. Hmm. And when somebody comes to you with CBD water, you go, okay, yeah, this looks good. People talk about this. This is nice. And you take it in to get tested, and there's no CBD in it. And it's, oh, you're just selling water with the, the word on the label. But there's no lab test. Mm-hmm. So because we lab test everything, we can tell you, okay, well, we do have this water, which does have five milligrams of CBD. It has these terpenes in it. I'll talk about terpenes in a minute. Um, and, yes, this will help you. But we also sell... 30 milligram CBD gel caps. Mm -hmm. Personally, what I use is I use topicals that I can apply directly to my back. Mm -hmm. So my injury usually manifests while I'm asleep. I'll have my feet wrapped up in the covers. I'll turn weird and my, my vertebrae will pinch a nerve and I wake up with a sharp shooting pain and my back's immediate response is to tense up around it which causes everything else to hurt. I can usually tell when it's going to happen, usually two or three days before it does. Just general overwork, um, I'm fatigued, and I feel the little aches starting to my back. If I start early applying CBD topicals to my back, I usually am feeling better within two or three days. And I have not had a episode since then. Um, and when I started using it, I had just had an episode, and I was having a very bad time. And it took about four days, where usually it was being four to five weeks, before I gained back my motion and was able to persist just like normal. Hmm. And not once did I get high. <laughs> yeah, that's an important point, too. And, you know, it's, it's funny that they want to, you know, try to block this uh, CBD stuff because, you know, it's kind of like if they admit this you know, is helpful, then they can't say that there's no, no value to it anymore. And then the whole house of cards crumbles, you know, it's like, they can't, they can't admit this one seemingly innocuous thing because then what you start questioning everything else about it. Yeah. They, um, there's been theories and articles written, uh, stating that one of the most damaging things to marijuana's continued prohibition was the, fanaticism of the just say no movement in the 80s in that the exaggeration that kids were exposed to like if you smoke weed all these terrible things are going to happen and then they smoke weed Mm -hmm. and no terrible things happen well they said that about weed what about coke (laughs) and in the long run the studies have found that people who believed those things coming up what was found is the gateway drug was Nancy Reagan. <laughs> but increasingly what we have now is this incredible opioid epidemic in America mm-hmm. because of how casual it is to get synthetic opioids. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about 
going down to the corner and talking to Jim and coming home with some black tar heroin. I'm talking about Frank the football star breaks his calf during a game and he's going to be laid up for four or five weeks. And hey, have some Percocet. Well, okay, the leg doesn't really hurt, but Percocet's fun, right? So the football star finishes up the Percocet a little bit early. Not really hurting anymore, but oh, Percocet was fun. Well, Joe over at the corner, he's got some Percocet. He's got some Vicodin. And so these kids are going and buying black market pharmaceuticals at 5 to $20 a pill. It's not sustainable. You can't afford to do that. Hmm. By the time they realize that they're truly addicted, there's no way to quit. You get sick when you quit. And so it's much cheaper to just get heroin. Well, heroin gets expensive. Okay, well, there's a cheaper heroin cut with fentanyl. Mm -hmm. And now you start to see people dying. Mm-hmm. And this isn't that these kids are waking up one day going, hey, let's go try heroin. I've got nothing better to do. It's not like some kid stoned one day and goes, um, you know, weed just really doesn't get me high enough. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go shoot up. No, what's happening is our medical system is so built around covering things up mm-hmm. instead of treating the root causes of illness. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a doctor. I don't even play one on TV. <laughs> but it doesn't take a weatherman to see which way the wind blows. And this is has created an endemic problem of opium addiction in our country. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the most valuable things that cannabis brings are the studies that are coming out now and that are being performed that are looking at cannabis's efficacy at treating opium addiction. Mm-hmm. Now, I was fortunate because I've seen what opium addiction looks like that I never even bothered taking the muscle relaxants I was prescribed. When I had a hernia repair 15 years ago, I took one Vicodin and decided the pain was better than how nauseous it made me feel. But I do see an incredible benefit to people who have become hooked on painkillers moving over to cannabis because it does not have the physical, physically violent effects. Um, it's an antispasmatic, so a lot of the symptoms of detoxification from opium can be overcome with cannabis. Mm-hmm. Uh, for anybody listening, if you are struggling with an opium addiction where you're experiencing DTs, do not go to your local dispensary and ask a bud tender to help you get off opium. They are not skilled. There are nurses in every legal state that will walk you through this, help you, and monitor you. You will want help from a physician. You can die. So I'm not a doctor. Mm-hmm. But there are studies out there, and there are people who can help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To get back to the THC, there are people who are dying of cancer, of AIDS. And the way that opium receptors work, 
some people aren't affected that well by them. Mm. Uh, probably myself due to my nausea. I've never taken a significant amount enough to know. But these people are not helped, even with morphine. And medical marijuana does help them. And when we're talking about, oh, I can eat 10 milligrams of THC and feel a pleasant buzz when I go to the zoo, these people aren't talking about going to the zoo. They're talking about maintaining a life that's just on the edges or simply past the edge of being livable. And some of these people are doing 1,000 milligram doses twice daily. Wow. And these aren't stoners. These are people going through chemo. These are real patients. Now, don't get me wrong. There's still like the Rasta guy at the festival who's going to chow down on a Corova Black Bar, eat 1,000 milligrams, and party like it's 1999. But that doesn't diminish the fact that it is a working medicine with demonstrable results. Yeah. So this ban on any edible over 100 milligrams does not take that into account. Mm -hmm. What it also doesn't take into account is Rick Simpson oil. Rick Simpson oil is probably going to be the next big breakthrough in cannabis. Um, and there are already... Um, I, I hate to call them anecdotal accounts of it working in concert with traditional medicines and showing a very high remission rate for cancer, um, as well as having a application for, or an application for, um, it has effect if applied topically to melanomas. Hmm. And they're starting to study it now. And what Rick Simpson oil is, is it's a full plant cannabis extract where you just extract everything out of the plant. You get all the cannabinoids. You get the CBD, you get the THC, you get all the terpenes, and you get this sludge. And that sludge is hundreds and hundreds of milligrams of THC that... Apparently, it tastes like hay. I've never tried it. Um, but it is an incredible medicine for allowing people to come through chemotherapy without the loss of appetite, without the loss of weight, without the loss of bone structure. And that would be limited to where to get an effective dose, you would have to buy 10 containers of it. And so... The 100 milligram ban will be a very bad thing if it actually goes through. Is this all because, the, you know, the children? What about the children? Um, no, there is a lot about the children in the MCR safe draft rules. So one of the things that actually bothers me, I've got a six-year-old son, and I work around this stuff all day. I see all the different brands, and... Why did gummy bears ever do wrong? <laughs> Why did gummy bears suddenly become the edible du jour? <laughs> like, hey, let's make an edible. What are we going to do? Let's do gummy bears. Everybody makes gummy bears. 
And they're gummy bears. They look exactly like gummy bears. Mm-hmm. I'm at this point, I'm a trained professional. Put two of them next to each other. I could not tell you which one is the medicated gummy bear. Mm-hmm. So one of the regulations is there are to be no lookalikes. You cannot have candy that looks like other candies. Mm-hmm. So, um, Ed in Colorado has already run into this, and they changed from having gummy bears to little boring gummy squares. Oh, well, it's the same medicine, the same flavor, but it doesn't have that instant appeal of, that's a gummy bear! Mm-hmm. Um... I joked with uh, one of my coworkers that if they really wanted to make uh, edibles that did not appeal to kids, make them look like licorice. <laughs> make them look like broccoli. <laughs> and of course, my son likes both licorice and broccoli. Right. So. <laughs> but opaque containers, no marketing that would appeal to children. Mm-hmm. All the same things that were passed in the 80s about alcohol and cigarettes that you couldn't have Joe Camel out there peddling cigarettes mm-hmm. as a cartoon camel. Mm-hmm. Joe Cool. Um, and I can't argue with any of these things. I support them. Um, that nothing will leave a dispensary without a child-proof lid. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, what about the children? Um, I'm a responsible adult. I keep mm-hmm. cannabis in my house. I keep it hidden and not in my underwear drawer. I have actually a secure little locking cabinet. Actually, Rob, I think you may have seen it when we were up in Ukiah. Mm. My old uh, liquor cabinet that I had in my shop that I built out of the uh, inverter. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, that has been adopted to <laughs> Hi, Daddy Stash. <laughs> oh, my. Well, yeah, no, I, I definitely, you know, I wouldn't want the children to get into it or whatever, but I feel like there's an over overreaction. It's absolutely an overreaction um, because it's sensational. It's still novel, but it's not the kid's fault. It's not the marijuana industry's fault. Mm. It's the parent's fault. And... This almost sounds like the arguments you hear about uh, gun ownership. Guns don't kill people. People kill people. Um, like So the gummy bear did not jump into the glove compartment <laughs> of that car. Mm-hmm. The thousand milligram brownie that the four-year-old ate. Like, that's terrible parenting. Mm-hmm. And if I can be so crass as to make a joke about it, because no one's ever died from cannabis. Mm-hmm. But, man, that would rock a kid's world. <laughs> um, <laughs> only losers lose drugs. Mm. If you're the kind of idiot who leaves a thousand milligram brownie in a car alone, unattended with a child, <laughs> why isn't everybody freaking out that there was a four-year-old unattended in a car? Because it got worse. And now that story does get worse. Sometimes the windows are rolled up and it's a hot day. But some parents are just unfit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just a shame that people like that have to, you know, (laughs) 
ruin it for people that are trying to be responsible. Um, you know, but yeah, but I don't think these regulations are ruining it. I think that they are putting in place protections. Mm-hmm. I mean, for a long time, it was not mandatory that all guns have safeties. Mm-hmm. Um, but cars didn't have seatbelts. Mm-hmm. These regulations, in some case, are for the better good. Mm-hmm. And one of the great things the MCRSA has done is they put this out with enough time for people to read it. They scheduled um, hearings and public comment sessions across the state over a period of three weeks where people could come and talk. They had um, email addresses you could write into. You could write letters. They listened and have come out with a new set of draft rules. And they're listening to the patients. They're listening to the business owners. That's good. Something that is not happening in Washington, D.C. when it comes to anything related to health. (laughs) Yeah, that's absolutely true. But do you think um, maybe the the reason we're having a little bit harder time now is because they went the legal uh, route with the medical first? Because I feel like a lot of people, like you said very at the very beginning, you know that that you just you know <laughs> that you know part of part of the appeal for you is not just medical; it's it's recreational. And I think that maybe people had to be a little more coy about it up to this point, and now people kind of suspect your motives if you say, "Oh, it's medical; it's curative," you know. And people are like, "Yeah, but you just want to," you know what I mean? No. Do a search for cannabis cerebral palsy. Do a search for CBD epilepsy. Um, I am sure that some people have the stigma in their mind that the KKK were good people until you find out they smoke marijuana. So we can go ahead and we can say yes. Some archaic fools like Jeff Sessions think that this is all about um, Cheech and Chong hanging out in the back of a green van smoking joints the size of your arm. Mm -hmm. But because of localized legalization of medical marijuana, doctors have had access to real medicine. And I'm going to go back in time. And I'm going to talk about opium addiction. And I'm going to talk about the first person I ever knew to be recommended medical marijuana. And this is my father in 1983, in the height of the just say no period. My father had a stroke in 1978 when I was three years old and lost most of the use of the left side of his body. Um, And nerves had died and would connect and not connect. I can't even imagine what that felt like. Um, The doctors just kept him constantly fed on codeine. It didn't do anything. And the amounts of codeine would go up. And then Dad would have to go into um, rehab after a surgery in order to get weaned off the painkillers they had to give him for him to be able to go through the surgery. And his doctor said, listen, some people with your condition have had good effect with marijuana to ease uh, neuropathic pain. Um, 
So, Dad, like any guy working in construction, goes to Joe on the yard and says, Hey, man, I know you smoke weed. Can you give me a joint? My doctor says it might help my pain. Oh, yeah, man, totally. I'll set you up. This is why you don't go to a bud tender and ask for help getting off opium. They're not qualified medical professionals. God only knows what dad got. Dad had been a lifetime smoker. He sat down and smoked a whole joint of who knows if it was an indica or sativa. He didn't have the use of the left side of his body. He tried to get up. He rolled off the couch, which required calling the fire department, which my dad thought was hilarious. I had no idea what was going on, but I knew it wasn't bad because dad was smiling and laughing. Um, but we couldn't get him back off the floor. Now, there are two types of, well, there are three types of cannabis. There's indica, sativa, and ruderellus. Ruderellus is most closely related to what we know as industrial hemp. Um, indicas come from generally your drier, hotter regions. Sativas tend to come from your tropical, moist regions. They have two different effects. Indicas have a strong sedative and calming effect. Sativas have a very high, um, what we call an uplift, where suddenly everything's cheerful. You feel super creative and hyperactive and talkative. Um, it's the weed that gives you the giggles. It's the weed that makes you paranoid. Indica is the weed that makes you sit on the couch and watch 20 episodes of Game of Thrones. Now, if my dad had done an indica at a light dose, he would have been fine. But there was no way to know that at that time because the body of research was limited to psychedelic books that were sold in head shops. There was no, there were no clinical studies. There were no doctors working in the industry. Um, and once the the medical marijuana industry started to emerge in individual states, quality cannabis was available for patients who were under professional care from doctors. Communities started to build up where people shared their stories and said, hey, this works for me. And as the evidence started to compile and anecdotal um, effects were being witnessed by doctors, studies started to be done committed. And we started to see where things really worked. Now, the uh, CBD uh, study that I mentioned earlier that was in the New England Journal of Medicine, the only reason that story or that study occurred was because it was done by a British pharmaceutical company that has created a pharmaceutical CBD specifically for treating Dravat syndrome. So they have the money, they have the patents, they have the first rights to market this medicine. Hmm. I'm trying to make a solid connection here. But w- <laughs> the commercialization is not a bad thing. Because we need solid, fact, like fact-based, peer-reviewed science. Mm-hmm. 
if we're ever going to find out what this plant is capable of. Well, that was that's, been, that's always been the thing, though, with, you know, back when you and I lived in Mendocino County, and of course, as we've talked about before, the number one uh, driver in the economy is the marijuana cultivation industry. And, uh, you know, I th- I, oh, I can't tell you how many times I heard people being like, you know, when it's legal, the, you know, R.J. Reynolds is going to, you know what I mean? Like, they're all, always like, that was the big fear is that it was going to get commercialized. But you, you seem to be kind of coming at it from maybe this isn't a, such a bad thing. Uh, I don't think it is a bad thing. And it's not going to be Philip Morris. So all of the rules in California have been set to limit the amount that can be cultivated to an acre. Mm-hmm. The amount that can be moved by a single company. And these are huge numbers. I mean, there's going to be a giant that emerges in this state from this window we have before big companies can move in. It's not going to be Philip Morris. It's going to be Fetzer. It's going to be Fry. It's going to be the vineyards. They've got the climate. They've got the arable land. They have the expertise growing. And I'm not going to say who or what I know, but it is widely understood that a number of the old school Mendocino wine growers gained the capital to become wine growers through growing cannabis. Hmm. Yeah, I don't, that's not really that shocking to me. <laughs> but. Yeah. Um, but the old, the original Fetzer estate hmm. has been sold to Flocana, which is a vertically integrated cannabis company. Hmm. They work with growers to provide trimming, cultivation. They uh, do extracts. They do oils that then go into edibles. They produce edibles. And they bought the old Fetzer estate out in Redwood Valley Hmm. for what will be one of the largest production facilities in California. Wow. That's going to change the game. Wow. Because what do you need to cure weed? The exact same environment Mm -hmm. you need to cure wine. Mm -hmm. What do you need to grow weed? The exact same climate and the exact same soils Mm -hmm. you need to grow coastal grapes. Um, I think there will be um, much, much commercialization, and I will admit that I am part of that. Mm -hmm. I'm director of marketing for one of the largest dispensaries in California. Mm -hmm. And, well, one of the largest permitted dispensaries (laughs) in California. And, yeah, I have no doubt. But when the pharmaceutical companies come in, and they say, hey, we're going to run a study because um, we think the pining terpene added with CBD has um, an entourage effect that makes both more effective. And they run those studies, they can't control the plant. Before they get the first pill off the assembly line, Somebody at Flow Canada is going to be running their extractors and recreating that. Hmm. Um, there is a company right now, um, 
that's come into play, and they're backed by quite a bit of money, um, and definitely commercial, and they're called Humboldt. They're not called Humboldt, like, uh, spelled like Humboldt County. It's H-M-B-L-D-T. Hmm. And what they do is they have dose pens, which have a extracted cannabis oil in them that has a very specific measure of THC and CBD. Hmm. And based on where they're drawing their plants from, they're able to create a chemically reproducible effect. Their pens are small plastic affairs, about three inches long, that when you draw on them, they give you a vapor that is always the exact same temperature to make sure that you're getting everything without it being burned. And after three seconds, it vibrates and shuts off. Hmm. With the pen, you know exactly how much THC and CBD you're ingesting every single time you hit it. There's no getting too high. There's no getting a weird batch of weed that makes you paranoid. But it's a chemical extraction process um, that you're just taking the parts of the plant that do the good, extracting them, putting them back together, and offering it in a vehicle that allows um, for safe, repeatable consumption. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I think that as these studies occur, we'll see more and more of that. Mm -hmm. I think that we will eventually see a big legal battle uh, from a state or possibly federal provider once federal prohibition ends, which I think is in the cards if we can keep the plant attached for long enough. <laughs> I think we will see a legal battle between a live plant producer and a pharmaceutical company. Hmm. And I think the pharmaceutical company will win. Hmm. Um, unless they wait long enough that the cannabis company has more money than the pharmaceutical company. Mm -hmm. Because system of laws really is who can pay lawyers the longest. Look at Exxon. Mm-hmm. So I think that battle will occur, but what won't happen is it won't stop the plant. Mm -hmm. It won't stop the medicine. Because with $5,000, $6,000 of equipment, working within a network that has laboratories for testing, facilities where I can go to do extra extractions, Everybody with a garden and access to a medical community that is well-equipped will have the ability to reproduce these compounds. Mm -hmm. um, open source medicine, I guess. Mm -hmm. but, I mean, I think that's not, I'm not too far off in the conspiracy land to say that that's part of the reason why it's been, you know, illegal this long is because they can't control it. It's nature, you know, so if they can't stop, if they can't patent it and corner the market, then what's the point? You know, who needs it? the competition? Right, but the government's patented it. There are patents mm -hmm. on compounds in the plant. Mm -hmm. No conspiracy theory. The government actually drew patents just to keep other people from getting patents. I think that will be an interesting legal fight when the day comes. <laughs> but we're at the beginning of a very interesting place in time. I mean, cannabis has been prohibited in the U.S., 
patients before chemotherapy, before the polio vaccine, and things that we have learned in the almost century of prohibition are now suddenly rapidly being applied to this plant. And with the infrastructure of the internet allowing people to share results and plans um, for extraction systems, and that hobbyists, there are people that are growing six plants in their closet and they have a hot press in their garage to extract rosins. Mm -hmm. It's... I think it's unstoppable. Mm -hmm. And I really think that because of the lack of prohibition, we're going to advance so quickly in understanding this plant that has been, for thousands and thousands of years, been a recorded herbal remedy. And do you know where aspirin comes from? Uh, you mentioned it was in bark, and I think I've heard that before, but I don't remember what tree or whatever. It's the willow tree. Ah. Every willow tree hmm. has aspirin in it. Hmm. And you can boil down the leaves, bark, branches of a willow tree and produce a tea that contains aspirin. If aspirin were discovered today, it would never make it through FDA approval. Hmm. But it was so widespread that by the time they got the idea to start making things illegal and forcing you to, you know, hey, opium, nobody would ever have stood for it. And they'd just go back to shaving the willow trees on Main Street, boiling it down and getting their aspirin. Mm -hmm. We found a lot of other fascinating things about the willow tree during the burgeoning period of science uh, that has occurred over the last century, such as that you can extract uh, enzymes from a willow tree that help root uh, cuttings from plants. So it's called clone gel in hydroponics, hmm. and it's derived from the willow tree. We have been kept from having that science when it comes to cannabis. And now that that science can be performed at a grassroots level, demonstrated to traditional uh, practitioners of traditional medicine, mm -hmm. and then studied in clinical trials, I think the sky's the limit. And I do think that the recreational market is going to be huge. Um, personally, I will be very happy to leave the medicine to the doctors. Um, right now, though, working in this industry and really being involved in the flower and the lives of the patients, I'm seeing what this really means. And I have hundreds of friends who have gone to their local doctor or their local doctor uh, recommendation mill and said they have insomnia so they can get the good weed from the dispensary. And that's going to end. You're not going to have these guys doing that because you're going to be able to walk into a recreational dispensary, show that they're 21, and walk out the door with a joint. Mm -hmm. The medicine will continue to be more and more focused. Mm -hmm. And like you were saying before, it's like when it's on the black market, 
I mean, like with most drugs now, you know, you don't know what you're getting. You don't know what dose. You don't even know if it's really the thing. Um, so, I mean, you don't really, of course, you're not going to know if it's indica or sativa or whatever. If it's just, you know, buying it, you know, in the black market. But if you actually have a, de a decent system, you can actually, you know, get the right kind and, you know, get what you need. It's, right. You know, exactly. Um, and I see a lot of um, string spinning where somebody will say, oh, man, this is Blue Dream. This is Great Bait. And I take the pictures of every single strain we offer. I do write-ups for a lot of it. Thankfully, I've got Solomon, who you heard on the podcast with me, who is an absolute cannabis genius, mm -hmm. um, the ganja guru, as you will. <laughs> but I can tell you what the phenotypes are in a cannabis flower by smelling it. Mm -hmm. um, because I have to research what the lineage is. I have to know, like, this is what it's derived from. It's 30% indica. It's 70% sativa. Um, it has, because of test results, it's this CBD profile. It's got these terpenes. And after a while of taking the pictures, smelling the weed, writing about it, um, almost being a sommelier of cannabis, um, I can smell somebody's jar of weed and usually tell you one of the two or three main phenotypes that it's derived from. And I'm not going to be able to say, oh, this is Blue Dream. But I can definitely say, okay, well, this is definitely um, got a cheese phenotype. There's a strong diesel amount to it. Um, for those of you that aren't familiar with cannabis, there is a strain called cheese. There's a strain called skunk. There's a strain called sour diesel. And they all have very unique smells. And once you understand where these strains came from and how they trace back to the individual land races or land race of cannabis, um, you can recognize them by smell. Um, you can recognize the difference between an indica and sativa by the structure of the flower. Hmm. But as most uh, indicas and sativas now are actually hybrids, it does become harder and harder. Um, but what you don't know is, did they use paclobutrazole uh, to harden the buds during harvest? Uh, did they use uh, neonicotinoids um, to stop spider mite infections? Um, are you smoking an insecticide that is registered safe for human use as long as it's never raised above 170 degrees? Um, that's what you don't know. And I'm very happy we lab test everything we get. Because, again, it's one of those regulations that some people, particularly those in the black market, are going, oh, I have to spend an extra 30 to $70 per pound to prove and keep my patients and my customers safe? That's ridiculous. <clears throat> Nobody should want to hurt their customers. Nobody should want to hurt their patients. If you're in a business where you're willing to sell unsafe product in order to make a living, come to government. <laughs> I hear they're hiring in the press office at the White House. <laughs> 
Yeah, I was just about to say, uh, uh, Sean Spicer, or, uh, other Sean Spicer, if you're listening. <laughs> oh, well, I'm telling you, I think other Sean Spicer would be great at selling weed. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to get him to talk to Chris Christie about that. <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, everybody in the state wants Chris Christie gone. And wants medical cannabis. Mm-hmm. And Chris Christie says no to both. <laughs> well, he's not attorney general, so. <laughs> right. Um, but he did veto the medical marijuana measures that were moving forward in Jersey. So That's true. it's stuck until the next governor there. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, attorney general. So much to talk about there. <laughs> I'm going to leave that one alone this time. <laughs> I not much talk on Russia recently. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I don't think that the federal government at this point in time is strong enough to come after California. Hmm. Um, I think they know they will lose that fight. Yeah. You wouldn't go into Texas and take away guns. <laughs> I don't think you're going to come into California and take away cannabis. Mm-mm. And it's not going to be, you know, a whole bunch of hippies running around with joints. It's going to be all those lawyers that are going to the dispensaries up in Palo Alto that have battled the EU about uh, antitrust for Google. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a very strong base here to fight legally on things. Mm-hmm. And this fight has not occurred because there is a constitutional provision for the rights of states to legalize cannabis. Mm-hmm. And it's called the Tenth Amendment. Mm-hmm. And no one's, no one has taken it federal because there's never been a battle at that level. By the time it gets close, to becoming a constitutional challenge. The charges are dropped, the assets are seized. With the changing of laws regarding civil asset forfeiture in California, we have no dog in that fight anymore. Mm -hmm. So there's no benefit for us to assist in asset forfeiture on the federal level. Um, And I think they're just going to be pretty busy Worrying about other things going on in the house, too. Mm-hmm. Worry about what's going on out here on the West Coast, mm-hmm. where we're busy curing cancer and stopping epilepsy. Yeah, it, it's futile, but, I mean, they're going to do what they're going to do in the meantime. But, yeah, you're right. They're probably a little bit distracted at this point. So. Yeah. I mean, there have been, to my knowledge, one um, DEA raid mm-hmm. uh, since... Trump was elected, but it was a joint DEA and uh, ICE raid. So immigration busting people that were growing weed illegally. Hmm. And they did not have local jurisdictions help. But it happened, and that wasn't the fight that we're worried about. 
if they come in and they go after Harborside, um, I mean, Harborside is the largest dispensary in California, and they're up in Oakland, and they grow, they produce, they brand, uh, they're huge. They are also 100% compliant and permitted. Mm -hmm. If the federal government goes after a player like Harborside, there will be hell to pay. Mm -hmm. Because the lawyers are already lined up. Mm -hmm. And they know what it means to take that battle all the way. Um, And as you said, they'll do what they'll do. But... I don't think they want to pick that fight. Mm-hmm. I think it's a lot of posturing. And I think what they're trying to do is stem the tide. But I'm not one given to conspiracy theories. And I don't even try to speculate on why cannabis continues to be prohibited. And Schedule 1, not just prohibited. Right. Yeah, it was interesting. I uh, was looking at a uh, packaged product today, a tincture, which is uh, taken sublingually. And the top of the package said, for medical use only, um, Schedule One controlled substance. <laughs> now, I appreciate that labeling. That labeling is not required in California. There are, like, Prop, uh, Prop 215 and SB420, like regulations and compliance statements that need to be placed on um, every container containing THC, whether it's marijuana and edible or whatever. But they do not require you to say that it's a Schedule 1 substance. <laughs> that does seem kind of, like, kind of like overkill a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Everybody in this industry recognizes and feels that the federal prohibition of cannabis is illicit. And unwarranted, um, and most likely unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. The Schedule One status of cannabis is something that I don't think needs to ever be on a package because it's bollocks. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, uh, so I and this was something else I was going to ask you about. Um, I've been following the work of Maps uh, Multi. Uh, you know their work they they deal with uh, psychedelics and psychedelic research and like dealing with people with PTSD and depression and things like that um, I'm not familiar with that specific group but in doing my morning reading about the cannabis industry I've heard quite a bit about a lot of studies that are being done right now around mm-hmm. PTSD and psilocybin yeah uh, MDMA and mm-hmm. ketamine yeah, yeah, that's, those are the other ones. But do you think that that's going to pave the way for that, too? I mean, with all the research they're doing with that, is that going to be the next frontier after cannabis? None of those are Schedule One substances. Really? I thought they were. Really? No, cocaine's a Schedule Two. What about uh, Silas, or, you know, mushrooms? Psilocybin, I think, is actually a two as well. Really? Huh. Mm-hmm. And MDMA is a two. God, and weed made it to number one with weed heroin and number one. Good gracious! Yep, it's up there with heroin. <laughs> yep. Meanwhile, meanwhile, it's okay to create synthetic heroin and sell it at CVS and Walgreens. Oh, you mean like uh, hillbilly heroin? Vicodin. Yeah, Vicodin, Percocet, Oxycontin. Yeah, and you've got these doctors that are running mills. I mean, I read a story maybe two months ago about uh, one particular town 
where for every single resident in the town, there had been 5,000 pills mm-hmm. of Vicodin prescribed. I think I saw that too. Yeah, we've had those around here as well. And that's kind of the preceding event to the giant opium crisis we have in the area now because, like you were talking about, you know, they get hooked on these pills, the supply gets cut off for whatever reason, they get busted, they go to heroin, and then we, we move on to this fentanyl, which, you know, apparently is like, you know, a letter-sized envelope of can kill, like, you know, 50,000 people overdosing. So. Yeah. Yeah, so thanks a lot, pharmaceutical companies and, you know, doctors that are prescribing. Thanks a lot. That's totally legal what you did, but now you've kicked off this this ridiculous epidemic that didn't even need to happen. Right, and like I said, the gateway drug is when little Johnny the football star breaks his leg. Mm -hmm. And, hey, here you go, have a little bit of opium. It's it's shameful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. And that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that was that was good.
you enjoy this podcast, there are several ways to support it. I have a Patreon account, which can be found at www.patreon.com forward slash Rob Burgess Show Patreon. I hope you'll consider supporting in any amount. Also, please make sure to comment, follow, like, subscribe, share, rate, and review the podcast everywhere it's available, which includes iTunes, YouTube, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Facebook, Twitter, Internet Archive, TuneIn, and RSS. It really helps. The official website for the podcast is www.therobburgessshow.com. You can find out more about me by visiting my website, www.thisburgess.com. Until next time.